Welcome to MindReadings Experts in Conversation podcast series. This project explores the patient experience through the prism of literature and personal narrative to inform self-care, patient-centered care and practice, animated by the question of whether doctors and patients speak the same language and how we can use narrative to bridge the evident gaps. MindReading began as a collaboration between UCD Child and Adolescent Psychiatry and the Diseases of Modern Life Project and the University of Birmingham, expanding to include colleagues across the UK and Ireland, most notably the UCD School of English Drama and Film. Our intended activities comprise a series of explorations around the central theme of literature and mental health and function as independent events, but brought together by their intent to explore the best ways of drawing on the insights of historical and literary research and contemporary medical practice in the field of mental health. The podcast series, Experts in Conversation, brings together some of the key themes of the 2020 conference, which we have to postpone, and is brought to you by the RCPI Archive. And this episode is brought to you by the School of Agriculture and Food, Equality, Diversity and Inclusion Committee, with particular thanks to Frank Monaghan for making it possible. So our first guest on today's episode, Rewriting the Stories of Disability, is Deirdre O'Connor. Deirdre is a lecturer in resource economics at the School of Agriculture and Food Science in UCD. She has a strong interest in issues of equality, diversity and inclusion and is involved in a number of related committees and initiatives within UCD. Deirdre was diagnosed with multiple sclerosis approximately 13 years ago, and so the issue of invisible disability is of particular interest to her. Deirdre, welcome. Thanks so much for the opportunity to take part in this. I think it's a great initiative as are the, all the associated activities. And I'm, I'm, I think we were saying already, I'm really taken with the, uh, the pause for a poem series. I think they really do provide it, just a lovely element of, of calm and something soothing in, in your day. So in kind of thinking about my, my own contribution to this uh, discussion and what that might be, uh, I went back to an event that actually you and I, Claire, were involved in last year, which was a podcast we did with UCD and indeed the DI unit, and Molly, the, uh, the Museum of Literature in Ireland, um, on the theme of invisible disabilities, uh, and really what the, the lived experience of having an invisible disability was like. And again, you know, how literature and cultural artefacts, I suppose, helped us make sense uh, of all that. But also, I suppose, more kind of practical issues on what was useful for for colleagues and those who support people with invisible disabilities, what was useful for for them to to know. And obviously, because, you know, we could only have a a small panel um, of people on for the the broadcast. We also just invited staff to to make kind of sounds very formal, but written submissions on an anonymous basis just to, to write really or to share their experience of, of living with an, an invisible disability. And we got a lot of kind of interesting contributions and responses from that. And then subsequently, I myself got a lot of, of just comments made to me and, and correspondence just privately, I think, uh, to myself. So, you know, I think a lot of, of what I want to talk about today is, is just based on, on those insights, really. But also, I'm really aware that, you know, this is a personal contribution and, and a personal reflection as well. So I just want to kind of acknowledge my own circumstances and my own position, I think, in, in, in this discussion as well. So, you know, as you said, I was diagnosed with multiple sclerosis around 13 years ago. And obviously, I fully acknowledge it's, it's a serious condition. It's a serious neurological disease. But I'm also aware, you know, there's a lot of factors that put me, I think, in a relatively privileged position in, in all of this. I'm very lucky in that I have very good access to really good medical treatment and medical care. Um, I'm on current treatment, which is, is working very well. And um, so I have specifically, I have um, relapsing and remitting MS, which means I have periods of time where my symptoms don't really impair me very much. 
to my knowledge, I fairly secure employment in UCD, at least to the best of my knowledge. But, you know, I think that is very, very important because it does kind of relieve you, I suppose, of a lot of, you know, anxieties around finance and, and job security and so on. And I think as well, like I was diagnosed quite quite late in life. I was in my, my mid-40s, which I think is, is quite unusual. So I think, you know, the, the die had already been cast in, in relation to a lot of big life decisions. I was already married, I was already mortgaged, uh, and, you know, and I have my daughter and so on. So, you know, I think that's, that's a, a particular set of circumstances, I think, that does impinge, I think, on how all this impacts. So I suppose my own contribution has to be coloured by by all of, of that. And as I've said, you know, I think it's relatively speaking, uh, it's a fairly privileged uh, position. And, and also, I think there's an element of luck in the sense that, you know, the course of, of my disease so far, at least, you know, hasn't been terribly dramatic or terribly negative. But we'll come back to that in, in a minute. You know, I, I think it's important to recognise that um, a lot of people have very different, even with even with the same disease, have very, very dissimilar experiences. Some of them a lot more more negative and, you know, living with a very different set of, of circumstances. So I just want to return really to, to some of the, the themes that our colleagues in, in UCD brought up when we, we sought their views on specifically around uh, invisible disability. And one theme that just came up again and again is, again, it's in an employment context, but I think it applies more generally, uh, just the whole issue of disclosure and the kind of the, the sensitivity, I suppose, and the delicate nature um, of, of that. So many people I spoke to use the same analogy of, it, of feeling like you are stepping off a cliff, really, really dramatic. And, you know, again, we'll come back to kind of language and narratives uh, subsequently, but you know, just that fear of being kind of stigmatised or the fear of being kind of written off or sidelined, you know, of just not being seen, not being heard, all, all of that. But actually, I should say, I think at this point that, you know, my own experience of, of disclosure uh, in UCD was actually really positive with my colleagues and my head of school, actually, in, in particular, you know, and it was really very much around um, what I felt I needed in terms of support and kind of recognising that, you know, we were in this for the long haul, you know, that this is a chronic lifelong condition. So what I might need now might be very different to what I might need in, in the future. You know, so all that was was really helpful. But having said that, I only disclosed it about three years ago. I haven't been diagnosed with 13 years ago. Now, there's probably a whole other podcast on why that was the case, but it's, I think, a complicated set of, of issues. But I suppose as luck would have it, if, if you could put it that way, you know, having had quite kind of a stable condition for years and years, I think about two months after I did all this disclosure, I got a really, really nasty flare-up, which put me in hospital for a period of time and put me out of work for about two months or, or three months. You know, so on reflection, there was a real kind of a comfort and, and peace of mind arising from the fact that I'd, I'd had those conversations and, and that they went so, so well. And I suppose just kind of linked to that uh, experience of, of having a serious relapse that just seemed to come out of, out of nowhere. And again, just based on, on kind of conversations and communications I've had with uh, colleagues in, in UCD, you know, 
that whole issue of kind of living with uncertainty, I think, and, and unpredictability, I think is a really common theme when, when we talk to our colleagues. And again, it, you know, it emerged time and time again that, you know, people said it's like this kind of sword of Damocles hanging over you. And, you know, also I think it's it's quite a, an insidious thing that that kind of level of unpredictability or uncertainty because I think it really does kind of seep into, you know, the way you engage in things and your ability to kind of fully engage in in, in all kinds of things. Because, you know, in the back of your mind, there's always this idea, well, you know, it could all go horribly wrong. <laughs> That's a very kind of a common theme. But it's interesting, uh, again, just talking to um, a particular friend who has... MS and they're I think a lot more restricted uh, with it than, than than I am but they were just saying recently like in in the current kind of COVID world like we're all grappling much more with uncertainty and unpredictability and that kind of sort of damages and they were saying you know they feel like saying to some of their non-disabled friends sometimes well you know welcome to my world <laughs> you know this is what we live with all the time so you know that's, that's I think just an additional uh, insight I suppose just returning to to that issue of of disclosure and and some of the conversations we've had uh, around that a lot of people talk about you know the fact that once you disclose you kind of become public property to, to an extent and that often means, you know, a lot of unsolicited advice and commentary. And while it's not always very well informed, I'm pretty sure it's always well meant. You know? But, you know, I think everybody, almost everybody with an invisible disability can relate to the experience of being told, well, you don't look sick, you know, or you look grand. This being Ireland, you know, you're grand. You look grand, you know. And I suppose on a good day, it's nice to be told <laughs> you look grand. But I think on a bad day, you know, I think you can make you feel very kind of overlooked or kind of uh, dismissed. And again, in relation to that, I suppose it probably sounds like a bit of a paradox, but a lot of people have said to me that, you know, when you do disclose and you do become more public about it, it's actually quite a lonely process, you know, in, in that, you know, a lot of people, I know it's a, a cliche, but they use this kind of, you know, iceberg analogy that, you know, what you see with an invisible disability is probably 10% of what's, of what's there. You know, and I think just that experience, I suppose, of what you see not being what you get and so on, it, it can be, I think, quite a, a, a lonely position on a lot of people I've talked to who experience chronic conditions and particularly those who live with chronic pain said it is really, really difficult to communicate just what it is like live in, in that body you know that's I, I found that quite poignant actually I said in, in a lot of people who contact me so turning I suppose to one of the, the the other themes I think that emerges all the time is this whole idea of of narratives and how invisible disabilities in particular I suppose are kind of seen and and heard and in in the MS community I just maybe talk a little bit about people who might find kind of interesting and, and, and useful to, to link in with. I follow quite a lot of the, the, the contributions from a, a, he's an American man who lives in Ireland, Travis Gleason, who writes a lot about uh, MS and I think articulates this whole idea of narratives very well. So, you know, he talks about, you know, the warrior narrative and the sufferer narrative, the superhero narrative. And I suppose specifically the way 
those narratives are kind of thrust upon you rather than you define them for for yourself. And he has a, a really nice analogy of, you know, it's like it's as if you got dressed in a, a wardrobe of clothes that you didn't pick out for yourself. You know, so you're walking around in, in somebody else's clothes uh, almost. You know, again, I suppose it's not an argument, I suppose, or a discussion over which narrative is, is more appropriate, but it's really just that it's it's your own choosing, I, I think, is, is the issue. As I'm saying this, I am aware that, you know, a lot of people frame their their disability and their coping with their disability in terms of a battle or a fight or whatever, and I absolutely support that if that's what they, they choose to do, but I suppose it's really just the question that you should get to choose your own narrative, and that would be that would be nice. I suppose on the upside, if we were to to, to look at the positives for for a few minutes, one of the really positive things about kind of you know engaging in in EDI work related to to disabilities and invisible disabilities is really just that it gives you the the opportunity to kind of interact with those like minded people really in in a whole range of of other domains and. Just in relation to that, I'm sure people on, on this call have probably come across uh, Mary Doherty, who treats as the autistic doctor, and she's very involved in, in a lot of kind of awareness raising work and advocacy work on specifically on autism and more specifically on autistic doctors uh, within the medical profession. And I've had just the opportunity to, to correspond with her quite a bit recently, which, which I've really um, enjoyed. So I thought it was kind of interesting that, that she's quite keen that her autism is, fr- is framed as an invisible disability because, as we know, the whole 10 podcasts, I suspect, in, in the whole issue of, you know, how you frame neurodiversity or neurodivergence as a disability and that that's the fact that that's quite a contentious issue. But I, I thought it was interesting that and I was in correspondence with her about this um, and that she's pretty adamant that it, it should be framed as, as, as a disability because I think that, you know, it links to the, the other side of the disability coin, if you like, which is, you know, ableism and the fact that we are all trying to operate in what is essentially an ableist world. A lot of people are, in, I suppose, encountering barriers of all types and they appear to be navigating them quite successfully. But, you know, very often that's coming at, a, a, I think, a huge cost to people's well-being and their, their quality of, of life. And I think just sticking with, with Mary's work, um, she's also some very interesting things to say about the narratives and, and disability, and particularly the whole kind of tragedy narratives that's, that's very much to the fore. Obviously, what she's saying is, you know, nobody can deny that autistic people face significant challenges in, in an ableist world, but we really need to kind of recognise strengths and positive qualities that, that people are, are bringing. Um, and I think that also links to just the, the whole kind of language around disability and the debate around language around disability, which I have to say I'm still trying to get my head around. But I suppose even the the, the the preference now for talking about autistic or disabled people rather than, you know, people with autism or with a disability and the idea that it's identity first, I, I think. And, you know, even around the area of neurodivergent versus neurodiversity and, and, and those kinds of, of, of things. And, you know, I, as I said, I'm still getting my head around a lot of that language, but it has also just made me think even about 
of the language we use in, in the workplace and, and specifically when we talk about things like reasonable accommodation, you know, reasonable from whose perspective and I often think and I've always thought actually that the word accommodation just sounds a bit kind of grudging. You're going to have to do, you know, or, or maybe I'm, I'm kind of overthinking it. And I suppose that brings me back, I think, to the idea that if you are, I think, in a, in a certain position of privilege, you know, you do have the luxury of, of focusing your thinking on this type of discussion around kind of language and identity and so on, rather than much more kind of fundamental problems that, that people face in disability of simply kind of access to services and precarious work and financial precariousness, which I'm aware now probably brings me right back to where I started. <laughs> so for that reason, I might just leave my immediate contribution there and, you know, listen to what others have to say and come back in subsequently.